0: for the D.C. Art Science Evening Rendezvous, or DAZER, a series of monthly evening salons exploring the intersections of art, science, and culture. DAZER is organized by cultural programs of the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, D.C., and Leonardo, the International Society for the Arts, Sciences, and Technology. I'm your host, J.D. Tolosic. Each month, we bring artists, scientists, and other creative people, together with a live audience in Washington, D.C., to explore the ways in which different perspectives can influence creativity and innovation. In this podcast, which highlights our DAZER program on June 16, 2011, we'll explore the role of technology in the expression of ourselves and in how we view and relate to our own bodies. After a lively discussion, the evening ends with some reflection on the larger landscape in which art and science collaborations exist, and how to strive to make them truly neither one nor the other, but an entity which is greater than some of its parts. Cynthia Panucci is an artist, curator, and founder of Art and Science Collaborations, Incorporated, one of the country's seminal organizations bringing artists and scientists together. She's worked with artists like Eric Stoller, who created what he calls a conference bike, allowing eight people to sit in a circle together pedaling and talking, and Jason DeKaris Taylor, who creates undersea sculptures that take on new shapes over time in the ocean's salt water. She saw a need for such an organization like this a long time ago.
1: I started it because I saw that the public art program in New York City started in about 1985 and for the very first time an artist that didn't have a huge name uh, could make proposals through the public art program, collaborate with architects and engineers and produce some really wonderful collaborative public art pieces that involved engineering and
0: science. Elizabeth Warson is an assistant professor in the Graduate Art Therapy Program at George Washington University, and has developed pain and stress reduction programs for American Indians in hospitals, dialysis centers, correctional facilities, and other public institutions. In one study, she investigated how cancer survivors in a Native American tribe of North Carolina used holistic healing practices and passed them on to younger members of the tribe. She found that commonly used social science metrics didn't capture what she was observing. She then came upon the World Cafe model, which invited participants to create drawings that reflected their experiences. These drawings gave Elizabeth the raw material she needed to produce one of the first academic studies of holistic practices among Native Americans.
2: The tables were covered with white pieces of paper. We used scented markers, and they drew and wrote stories throughout the entire project. And what we did was we collected all these different tabletops, and then we started interpreting the imagery, the words, the phrases, everything, even, the, even how they op- applied the marker onto the paper to get a better understanding of their storing process.
0: Mike Sapel is a curator and historian at the National Library of Medicine. When he looks at the long history of scientific and medical illustration, he sees a long-time collaboration between scientists and artists. And historically, the definitions of science and art are revealingly different than they are today.
3: In the 1500s, art meant any activity made by human hands that involved skill. And science uh, meant any formally organized body of knowledge. So physicians often were said to practice the healing arts. Theologians contributed to the science of theology. So there's a long history of collaboration between anatomists, physicians, surgeons, and visual artists, painters, draftsmen, sculptors. Anatomists worked closely with artists. Anatomy was a subfield in medical schools and art academies. And even in the act of dissection, there's some kind of corollary between holding the scalpel and holding the pen, and inscribing, cutting into the body was in some sense uh, considered to be in the same involving the same set of skills and observational prerequisites as drawing a line on a piece of paper. And there was an active interaction between those two.
0: Mike ended his initial presentation by leaving us with two questions that we would explore later in the evening.
3: Two questions. One is a question about sort of what kind of work these illustrations do to us, that cumulatively as we see these and live in the world of these kind of illustrations, what kind of people does it make us, what kind of expectations do we have about what governs our body? Who's the authority over our bodies? Um, we see this all the time now in explanations of immunology or other things where people are mobilizing computer technologies that we didn't have maybe 50 years ago to explain things in a different way. Uh, but it also works in the opposite direction. So the question is there's a whole generation of scientists who were children when these are are introduced, who who grew up in a world where these kind of illustrations are very familiar and pervasive, and all of a sudden have all these strategies and visual vocabulary in which to imagine things, and what kind of difference does it make for their research agendas and their their, uh, methodological approaches growing up in a world where this kind of visualization occurs.
0: Pamela Jennings was a professor in the College of Fine Arts at Carnegie Mellon University and currently is the Program Director of the Computer and Information Science and Engineering Directorate at the National Science Foundation. She has taken on visual investigations of her own body as an artist. In one work, she made a self-portrait based on a functional MRI image taken of her during a conference. She described how obtaining the image brought up some of the societal issues surrounding medical imagery.
4: So, how did I get this brain imagery? So, I actually volunteered at an fMRI um, demonstration at a conference that was called um, Science of Consciousness Conference um, that might still be held, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it was held for um, quite a few years at Tucson, University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona. And um, they asked for volunteers to go in and to have an fMRI study done so they could show the rest of the people how the technology worked. And then, you know, you had to sign your life away to do it. And I said, I'll do it as long as I can get the film. And they were a little hesitant because they don't want you to get the film and then to start diagnosing yourself but <laughs> and everything. But I had to sign away this waiver about, you know, do I have any metals in my body and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going in for? But it was actually quite interesting.
0: During the question and answer period, The discussion focused on the body-mind relationship and how visualizations influence it. Cynthia sees many artists who work draws on the science behind biological phenomena like neuroscience and DNA. Artists devise ways for us to see the unseen in the biological world, she says, in ways that are rooted in common experiences shared by many people.
1: Often artists that work with the body are working from their own experience. I knew an, an artist that presented at one of our, our first Art art-size symposia in New York back in 98, and she had seizures. She started making a, a video of this. There is an electroencephalograph, I guess, that can track the seizure, and she then made a sculpture of the seizure, but she connected both the beginning of the seizure with the end of the seizure. And when the scientist that she's collaborating with looked at it, he said, well, gosh, that nests beautifully, you know, the beginning and the end. There was just a nesting that he would have never discovered himself. So I think we are finding that when science visualization is used, it's very beneficial scientifically, but also I think to the general public when the artist is involved, it humanizes the
0: science. For Elizabeth, visualizations are an expression of the human experience of scientific phenomena. Using art as a means of influencing healing relies both on scientific practice and recognizing the spiritual nature of our mind-body relationships.
2: It also depends on one's cultural perspective because I keep looking for the spirituality and so most people in the room would be very uncomfortable with that term and go okay whatever. But spirituality is really the core of a lot of different cultures, and that's how they see the mind-body relationship. It's not something separate.
0: This conversation led to the question of whether our advancing technology has also made us more forward-thinking about how we interact with the world. As Mike pointed out, we have relied on technologies for many thousands of years, even if our modern gadgets allow us to lose sight of what truly qualifies as technology. And it's unclear whether all our tools have really made us any different.
3: We are technological beings. That is, we use language, we exist in technology. Broadly, agriculture, use of magic markers, paper, tables. Those things seem so obvious that you know they kind of disappear into the background of the World Wide Web and distributed computing and networks. But the tools to think are also crayons and dirt and You know, there's a million things to think with. So, yes, there's a cumulative progress, but I don't know that that's moral progress or or leading us to sort of a higher state of being.
0: When science and art come together, the way one discipline informs another can take on many forms. An audience member described having seen an artist who inspired by the periodic table used her enthusiasm to also inspire school children. Could artists present a new path for getting students to love science? Pam suggested taking a step back from these kinds of experiences, as exhilarating as they are, to survey the broader goals of science and art collaborations.
4: I draw a little bit wary when we start to talk about the arts design as a service to the sciences in terms of being illustrative. You know, even if it's in teaching that's illustrative, which means, you know, perhaps this just happened to be an artist who was just a really good teacher, you know, and um, might not have been a result of the fact that they were coming from the arts. And I think there's a lot of value in that, so I don't devalue it, but I think that there's also a lot of richness and the work that we saw tonight that are actually the results of people who are either collaboratively or on their own, but I choose to call more hybrids, right? They're actually transcending those silos and those boundaries of an artist working with a scientist, but they are neither nor, right? Neither fish nor fowl. And I think that's a place where some really interesting, not only ideas, but new areas of innovation come from as well, whether it's coming from the science or technology side or the aesthetic side. So there's many ways we can think about the art science union. We need to make sure we're, we're looking at the bigger picture.
0: Thanks for joining us for this podcast sponsored by Cultural Programs of the National Academy of Sciences. DAZER is a monthly community-centered salon in Washington, D.C., organized by the cultural programs of the National Academy of Sciences and by Leonardo, the International Society for the Arts, Sciences, and Technology. For more information on DAZER programs and other events and exhibitions at the Academy, visit us on the web at www.cpnas.org. I'm J.D. Tolosic.